Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter 1. We're starting this book. We're supposed to start it last week, but thanks to snow and extreme cold, we didn't. Um, So, thank you all for your prayers during my surgery and recovery. It has been glorious. God has been mighty in helping me get through that. It has not been really any difficulties after the first couple of nights. Um, So God has been good. So thank you so much um, for that. 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7, we're going to look at this morning. How does our faith stay faithful? I think that's going to be a very important lesson for us in this next year. And Timothy hits the, I mean, Paul hits the nail on the head in this book. But let me read the passage first. Then we'll get into talking about it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, When I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Paul's encouraging words, and I know that it's from your lips, and we know that it is applied to our hearts and our souls. And so may we learn from it this morning how we can keep our faith faithful. In a trying world, Lord, may we find the grace, the mercy, and the peace the power and the love and the sound judgment to keep our faith focused on you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this is kind of a near the end of the journey. Last year I started in uh, 1 Timothy or Acts, actually. We were talking about the church, organizing the church in accordance with what the Bible says. And we talked about grasping the responsibilities of leaders in the church as well as the members of the church. And we've talked about that over the last year. And now in 2 Timothy, we're going to see more of the part and role that members of the body of Christ need to play. I mean, really, it, it, it commands it 25 times in this scripture to know God and to be close to God. The, the book really emphasizes discipleship. It really does, um, which is great because we're going to start discipleship again next month. So, um, But our Christian culture... Our Christian culture, the the church even, is suffering. And I think it's suffering from a lack of mature, complete biblical teaching. I think believers are a little infantile in their faith at times because they have not been discipled. And that's one of the things that we're, we're believing as a church now. And usually when we don't disciple, we get overloaded by the entertainment industry. You know, when there's a drought of sincere, faithful, and accurate Bible teaching, the internet is very fast to fill that void with something else that's not biblical. And so 
believers need to know their Bible well. I've often said you should be as familiar with your Bible as the grocery store clerk is with what aisle things are on. Now, I'm not talking a grocery store like Walmart. That's a little almost impossible. Plus, they move it around all the time, I think. But we need to know our Bibles well. God wants his church, the bride for his son, to know what he wants, what he says, and what he calls us to do. He wants us to be serious and mature about our faith. And that's why we've been doing this for the last year, and that's what 2 Timothy is going to talk to us about. It will aid us in those pursuits. So that's kind of a preview of what the whole series in 2 Timothy is going to be about. Now, how faith stays faithful, that could be the title of every sermon. I think if I preached every sermon in 2 Timothy, how does your faith stay faithful? As I've read the book a couple times in preparation for this, it just kind of permeates the whole thing. And my call as a pastor is to help you do just that. But understand here a little context. 2 Timothy is the last letter Paul writes before his death. The last one. So it sounds a lot like a guy that's remembering things and being almost sentimental at times, but also wanting to get some last second instructions across to Timothy. This was probably written a few months before Paul's execution in AD 67 when he was beheaded in Rome. And at this time, persecution was rampant. This is the reign of Nero. Nero was, had blamed the Christians for burning Rome. And so everybody was taking it out on Christians. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But Paul is very reflective. He's very sentimental in this letter. He is writing to his faithful son in Christ and in the gospel. And, and Timothy now, he's still in Ephesus, like we, he was in 1 Timothy, still pastoring there. But Paul, Paul will call him at the end of this letter, will call him to come visit him in Rome in the prison. So as we move through this letter, I, I want you to think and reflect on Paul's life. If you've read the book of Acts and his conversion and all the churches he planted, and then you've read some of his letters, you have a perspective. And I just want you to kind of carry that message along with you. Because Paul was faithful to the very end to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And Paul, as well as God, expects us to do the same. So I hope you get this out of the, the, as we go through the book of 2 Timothy. But today, these seven verses, Paul starts his last letter with the intention of aiding Timothy, helping Timothy to keep faith in Christ until the very end. <clears throat> so our faithfulness our faithfulness in the ministry of the gospel requires us to be aware of the pilgrimage we're on, to know where our faith stands and to know ourselves because so many times we get distracted by things that shouldn't distract us as Christians. So this morning I want to talk about how does the pilgrimage aid our faithfulness? What about our journey in Christ keeps us moving forward? What about it? Well, remembrances, I think, in this passage, in these seven verses, Paul talks about things to remember, things to remind Timothy of. Memories give us the means to sustain our faith in Christ. And he reflects on the present, the past, and the future. Put him in, he put them in a different order. First of all, we need to remember where we are as Christians. We need to remember maybe who we are and who are we in Christ. And so verses 1 and 2, let me read those again, and we'll talk about them. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Paul always kind of starts his letters off with declaring who he is. He's an apostle. He's an apostle, which was a first century position in the church. He serves by the call of Christ from the will of God. It is God's will for Paul's life to be an apostle. And he was an apostle specifically to the Gentiles, which is all of us, unless, you've got, unless you're Jewish, and I don't think anybody is. But if you are, sorry. But I didn't mean to leave you out. So that is who Paul is. And he serves God by the call that Jesus Christ and God's will put on him. It's very clear in his Damascus Road conversion. And, and, and then when God sends Ananias to, to remove the, the blindness, he makes it very clear Paul is supposed to be an apostle, a messenger, specifically to the Gentiles. And his mission is to proclaim the promised life, the promised life of eternity, not physical life, spiritual life, eternal life that only comes by the way of Jesus Christ. And even inside the dungeon of the Mamertine prison in Rome, one of the worst prisons ever discovered and ever known, Paul's position is never in question. He never has a doubt. At least he doesn't write about the doubt. He knows who he is. And he remembers that once God saves a person, that person is never lost again. Once God truly saves, it is forever. And it is also forever that their duty is to God forever. Who we are is God's child, Christ's bride, and we're soldiers of Christ. We need to always remember that. He's, he's reminding Timothy of that by, by, by reminding him of his position. And he greets Timothy as a son. It's a very intimate relationship that's been going on for probably about 20 years. He's an intimate, it's an intimate kindred expression to, to note, denote the importance of the relationship to Paul. It's kind of a fatherly love for someone who came to faith in Christ in the ministry of Paul. Paul prays for grace and mercy and peace to be on Timothy from God the Father and God the Son. Those are very three, very important. What's interesting is if you look at all the, the salutations that Paul writes in all of his letters, Timothy is the only one he adds mercy to. And I guess knowing he's a pastor, he knows he needs mercy. I don't know. But mercy is something that uh, I read something this morning from Richard Baxter. said, mercy is something that we receive because Christ did not receive mercy on the cross. He took all of our wrath of God, the wrath of God, for us. He did not receive any mercy on the cross. And so it's kind of interesting. We definitely need mercy. But Paul asked for these gifts to be sent to Timothy by the Holy Spirit. That's, that's why the Holy Spirit's not mentioned by name here, because that's how we receive from God these things. And, and the reason is because Paul knows anyone serving the Lord in this hostile world needs those things. We need them. We need grace every day. We need mercy all the time. And we need peace, a peace that passes understanding, not world peace, because that's always fragile. And when it's man-made peace, it's not eternal. So the salutation and greeting tells the reader, us, that it's important to remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Remember who you are in Jesus Christ. That's the starting point every day. You get up every morning reminding yourself, I am a child of the creator of the universe. That should, that should light your fire if it's not already. The current position of a believer in Christ can aid in, in staying faithful to the end. Peter tells us even more clearly in his letter, 1 Peter 2, 9-10. Listen to what Peter says about us, okay? The, this is not just some flowery poem Peter wrote. This is who we are. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see your identity there? If you don't, we need to talk. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't have this identity yet, but you can. You're chosen. You're holy. You're a preacher, believe it or not. Paul Peter's saying, a preacher of the gospel. By the way you live your life, by the words you use every day. We are God's people. You know, as you go through life, your roles change. One of the things I want to talk about at the marriage banquet is the fact that you're going to be married to maybe 10 or 15 different people if you're married for a very long time because our roles change. You go from child to adult to I went to, to husband to father. I mean, just on and on. And now I'm a grandfather, you know, and now I'm over 60, so I've had surgery. So it's like the roles change every day. But our role as a Christian does not. And we need to remember who we are in Christ. See, God has saved you to a new position that will never change. You are his child. And you have everything at your disposal that he wants to give you. Now, we're not like Paul. We're not apostles. Apostle had a special... This was before the New Testament was written, so that's why the apostles were special. They had, they had the word of God. They were able to give us insight, which is why most of the New Testament is written by apostles. And we're not all pastors like Timothy. But... If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are saved, you are royalty in the family of God. You are a priest, an interceder, and a holy soldier. Don't ever let anybody tell you you're not fit for the kingdom of God. You don't have any responsibilities. You can't do anything great for God. Most Christians live their lives in that state. They live this, their lives in a state of survival. They're just kind of hanging on hoping to get through, hoping to make it to the end so they can go into heaven and everything will be good. They, they live their life in that kind of fear. They've never been told after baptism that God has a new purpose and a new responsibility for you. You do, by the way. You've been given a new purpose and a new responsibility. So we need to get busy for Jesus. And that's what we need to be doing. See, Christ calls us to know that we have a new life, a new mind, and our forgiveness keeps us from being in trouble. See, your forgiveness is, is still part of that faithful life. Repentance and confession is part of being faithful. So we need to practice telling ourselves this. We really do. We need to practice reminding ourselves, not from a prideful standpoint, but who we are in Jesus. We need to stop letting the world, letting our family, letting our history define us. Remember what, first Peter, what Peter wrote up in 1 Peter. Remember that. Don't let anything else define you. you are a, you've got a new beginning in Christ. Christ sets us free to live new and improved lives. Covered by mercy, filled by grace, and resting in God's peace. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. So who we are now, it, that needs to be first, okay? You need to kind of square that up in your mind and go, I am a child of the creator of the universe. The second thing Paul wants them to know is remember where you've been. Remember what happened after your change. It's, it's a great history, by the way. 
Remember where you've been. Look at verses three through five. Paul says and writes, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and then your mother, Eunice. And now I am convinced is in you also. Faith stays faithful by remembering our past, remembering where we come from, and remembering what God's already done in our life, not just your conversion. So Paul is grateful for where his life came from. He was lost, but Jesus found him. And he says right here, he says, my previous life, I had a clear conscience about what I was doing, like my ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The problem is Paul had a lot of ignorance. He didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. He had not been, it had not been revealed to him in his soul. But a clearing conscience never saves anybody. You may think you're good and you may think you're right, but a clear conscience never saves him. That's why Paul said, my conscience was clear, but I had a lot of ignorance. And his life in the old covenant, those ways, they fed the truth of the new covenant at his conversion. It's amazing how smart Paul became after the conversion. I think he would probably had an IQ on the order of genius anyway. But when he got saved, he, compl- he understood so much more about the Old Testament that he had never seen before. But he never, he never disowned the sincere faith of his ancestors. And he prays that he, re- he, and he prays as he prays for Timothy, remembers Timothy, his son in the faith. He remembers tears. Now, this is probably from their last parting. We don't even know where that exactly was when, when Paul sent Timothy to uh, Ephesus. It could have been in the first imprisonment. Who knows? But he remembers Timothy being sad. Sad that he was parting and leaving Paul behind. But those tears of the past, they hearken to a day when we will be reunited, whether it's in this life or the next. And that's what reminded Paul. The tears of sadness from the past can turn into joy when there's faithfully, faithful service going on. You know, if Timothy had lost faith and, and wandered away from the faith, those tears would never have turned to joy. But Paul knew they were going to. Paul reminisces over Timothy's faith, the sincere and true faith that Timothy had, and he traces it back through his family. See, here's what you need to understand about Timothy's family. His, his father was a Greek. His father was not Jewish, but his mother and his grandmother were Jewish. So Timothy was raised by a Jewish grandmother and mother, and he saw through their lives their faith in God, even before they, they knew the Messiah had come. So, you know, they lived in the town of Lystra, which is now in modern-day Turkey, but they li- he lived just knowing that, there, that God had promised a Messiah, but he never knew when it was going to show up. Eunice and Lois didn't know when it was going to show up, but the vivid lessons that they lived in front of Timothy, of faithful service to God, of obeying and, and trusting God, it became so much easier when Timothy was converted to understand what had happened. And now he knows it well enough to pass it on. That's what we're supposed to do with our faith. We have the, we have the whole picture now. We need to be passing it on to our family and our friends. That's what discipleship is all about. Discipleship should start in our homes. It should start with each other as husband and wife or in our homes with our children. We need to pass it on. But you know what? No one's saved by their ancestors' faith, okay? Timothy wasn't saved because Eunice and Lois were faithful Jewish women. 
He's saved by Jesus Christ. When, when Paul brought the message to Lystra that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, maybe they'd have heard about him. You know, the, the news of this man being killed on a cross and then three days later rising, that rumor had spread ahead of the gospel. But when Paul showed up preaching it, that's when they got saved. But the faith that they had passed down to Timothy made it a wonderful environment for Timothy to trust Jesus. And so Timothy saw and he experienced his mother and grandmother's faith in God. They trusted God. Examples of faith will not save anyone, but they sure make it a lot easier. It will point people to Jesus who can save them. When you're living your faith out faithfully, when you're loving and caring and reaching out and showing compassion, but, but always pointing to Jesus. So Paul reminds Timothy of his past experiences in the faith that should help him stay faithful. This was just a kind of a walk down memory lane. Real quick, short blurb, but it's the only place that Eunice and Lois is mentioned in the entire Bible. Do you remember the change after conversion? Do you remember what it was like? What happened, what your li how your life changed after you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Maybe it was like this. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, he says, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through de deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you remember that? Do you remember that happening? You took off your old ways. You your, your attitude changed about your life, and you put on new. I hope you understand. You have been changed from old to new. We need to stop wearing our old self. That, that, that word in there means literally to take off a coat or clothes, to, to unclothe yourself with your old self. You know, drug addicts, a lot of times when, you, when they're recovering, one of the ways that they can remember that they're no longer an addict is they have made new memories of not being an addict. They have seen wonderful things happen in their life, you know, blessings and stuff, because they're not an addict anymore. Believers have got to do the same thing. We've got to have some memories from our conversion, things we, points in our life. Remaining faithful to Jesus will necessitate remembering that we've been changed. Remember I talked earlier about being a child of the creator of God, creator of God. Maybe some of you don't know that you've changed. Maybe you don't know what's changed. Maybe you don't know that you were changed. So here's a couple of examples, a few examples actually, to remember about the change. And these are generic, so I don't know how they'll apply to you. But first of all, you realize that you had sinned against God. That's the first thing. That's what, that's, the, I got to get you lost before I can get you saved. You got to understand that I have sinned against the holy God. That's the first thing you should remember. I, I, I remember remembering that. I remember that when I, when I got saved. I remember, wow, I've sinned against God. That's not a good thing. That's the way we should be. Did you? Do you? The second thing is you saw Jesus as the only solution to that sin. You saw Jesus as the only means to being forgiven, the only means to have eternal life. Have you? Have you realized that? That Jesus is the only way. 
The third thing that's probably, that should have happened, not probably should have happened, should have happened, your attitude changed about sin. You recognized that you were sinners. You re recognized you needed Jesus' forgiveness. And now, in the act of repentance, your attitude about sin changes. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but your attitude changes. You want to live differently. Do you want to live differently? Has your attitude about sin changed? Do you still flirt with it? Now, we're going to all sin. I mean, nobody's perfect, okay? We're going to still, unfortunately, stumble and dabble, and it's just sad. But that's why confession and repentance is very important to our faithful walk with Christ. But our attitude should change about it. We shouldn't want to. Paul, Paul talks about that in Romans 7. I, what I want to do, I don't do. What I do, what I do, I don't want to do. I, you know, that whole back and forth he goes with himself. He struggled with it. We will struggle with it. But his attitude about sin was different. Now, these three things are just generic, and they may not have happened to you in a particular order, in the order I read them off. They may not all be completing you yet, but over time, they should be visible. Over time, you should be able to remember and see back how your life changed over time, how your attitude towards sin changed. But also, you should have some events of faith in your life, some points in your life where you trusted God. You, you had no other solution but to wait on God, and you waited and he showed up. And he showed out, probably. If I know my God. Yeah, we should have those kind of events. When you, when you knew that there was no other solution, like a trial that was going on or some help. Well, what about the time you, you tried to tell someone about Jesus? It may not have gone like you were hoping. But if you tried, that's going to test your faith. I mean, if you want a, a surefire way to grow your faith, that's one of them right there. Taking a little time to try to step out on that limb and tell someone about Jesus. We get so fearful about it sometimes. But remember, God loves that person and wants them to hear the gospel. That's all you got to do. Tell them the gospel. You're not, you're not in charge of results. So remembering your life since your conversion is really good medicine for our faithful life. Remembering that you've been brought from someplace bad probably, at least most of us are bad because we were all sinners. Everybody was sinners. Helps us live a faithful life. So faithfulness remembers who we are in Christ. It also remembers where we've come in Christ. And lastly, it remembers where we're going, what we're going to do in the future. Remember where we're going. Verses 6 and 7, Paul makes it very clear. He says, because of these first two things, these, these first five verses, therefore, I remind you, to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. This is such a comforting verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So Paul's using the past and the present to kind of show where the future is going. So he tells Timothy, remember from your conversion that God gave you a gift. God gave you a gift, and he says, rekindle it. What does that mean? Is, 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 is Timothy's fire gone out? Well, no. But if you've ever built a fire, and you see it die down, and there's no flames anymore, there's just coals, you blow on it, and it comes back to life. You've got to give it a little help sometimes. And that's what Paul's, the other translations might have this rendered, fan into flame, the gift that you were given. There's coals presence, but it needs a little help. 
And it always does. Our faith is never meant to be Lone Ranger. It's never meant to be isolated. It's meant to be lived out in the church and an encouragement from brothers and sisters. So Timothy's fire didn't go out. You know, lights will dim as fuel is used. Light bulbs go out. Candles expire. Flashlights never work when the power goes out because batteries die. But Paul is reminding Timothy to put more fuel on the fire. Don't get discouraged. There's a lot of persecution going on in this time frame, okay? Nero is hunting down Christians like dogs. And I'll talk a little bit more next week about what he was doing to them, but it's terrible. Don't let your fire go out, Timothy. Get, get recharged. Get relit. Paul is seeking to help Timothy preserve the gift that God gave Timothy, the one powered by the Holy Spirit. What gift could that be? Well, probably preaching and pastoring what he's doing there in Ephesus. But you know what? All of us as believers have a gift, a spiritual gift that you were given. I don't know what yours is, but you can find out. If you go to Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, there's a list. That's a good place to start and pray over it. Let God give you an idea. And if you want to try something here to see if it's your gift, come talk to me. We're we're not going to lock you into anything. And people have done that And that's how they find out. But Paul marked the day that Timothy got that gift by laying his hands on Timothy. It it wasn't like a super special thing. It was just that was the day that Paul said, I know you have this gift and I am confirming it in you. So Timothy, find ways to reignite the passion. That's what Paul's telling him. Find ways to renew the energy. Find ways to proclaim the truth. Paul is commanding Timothy right here, okay? It's not really a suggestion to do this. The word rekindle, the Greek word is an imperative, meaning do it. He's not giving any, uh, any room for a equivocation there. Paul reminds him of this ministry, which started, like I said, in Lystra about 20 years earlier. This is 20 years in the, in the future from when Timothy first heard the gospel. But this ministry is for the kingdom of God. It's always for the kingdom and glory of God. Because God does not give us a a generated soul, a regenerated soul, a spirit of timidity. Okay, that's what that word there, we hear, he did not give us a spirit of fear. That word can mean fear, but it really kind of more accurately is timidity, timid, cowardice. We don't have that kind of spirit in us. That's the spirit of the old nature, okay? Those attributes of fear and cowardice come from our old nature. No, God gives you the Holy Spirit, which is God the Spirit, the third person of our Trinity. God the Spirit fills him with power and love and sound judgment. And these are essential. These are very essential to lasting in our faithful ministry of our life. So I want to talk about these attributes that the Holy Spirit, and this is just three of what the Holy Spirit does for you. But but Paul knew it was important for Timothy to hear this. Power. Power is produced by the fuel used to rekindle his gift, to rekindle his faith. Without fuel, no source of power can last. But you know what? The good news is, is that you don't have to come up with the fuel. You just have to go and wait on the Holy Spirit. Wait on the Spirit. Rest in the Spirit. Allow the Spirit time. And I've seen power arrive. Because he'll give you power or he'll provide a situation that, that recharges it. And then the Spirit of God gives you love. 
I've said it many times from this pulpit. Love is the, the major significant difference between Christianity and everything else in the world. This faith we have, this life we live following Christ is different because we love, because we were first loved. Love made faith and salvation possible. So John MacArthur, a guy I trust pretty good, he, he had a great paragraph in his commentary on this verse about love. And I'm going to read parts of it to you. Agape, love, the volitional and selfless love that desires and works for the best interests of the one loved. It is a self-denying grace that says to others, in effect, I will give myself away on your behalf. When it's directed back to God from whom it came, it says, I will give my life and everything I have to serve you. It is the believer's love in the spirit, the divinely bestowed love of the one who will lay down his life for his friends. It is the sincere love of the brethren by which we fervently love one another from the heart, the perfect love that casts out all fear. It is the love that affirms without reservation or hesitation. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Above all, it is the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. See, our spiritual lives are measured accurately by our love. If our first love is for ourselves, our life will center on seeking our own welfare, our own objectives, our own comfort, our own success. But if we love with the love God provides, our life will center on pleasing him and on seeking the welfare of others, especially other Christians. And on this day, especially the preborn. That's why we, we do it. We do it because we love. One of the things that we're being accused of as Christians is we don't love the mother. We just love the baby. And that's all we care about. That's not true. That's a lie. That's a bad, bad, bad rumor that people are trying to start to get us derailed. Here's the good news, though. The Spirit gives us power to love. I mean, loving your enemies, we've talked about that a lot. Love your enemies. Who can do that? You can in the power of the Spirit. You can. Serve others. Be patient in trials. And then sound judgments. It could be self-control. It could be the right thinking. It could be wisdom to keep faithful even through difficulties. But the good news is that the Holy Spirit will grant this to all who seek it. If we'll wait on his wise counsel instead of running off and doing our own thing, coming up with our own ideas. And the best place to get sound judgment is this book right here. Okay? It's full of it. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit wants you to do or say or think, it's right here. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. Go read it. I'll talk about that more in a minute. Paul knows that his departure is near. He hasn't told Timothy yet. Um, Timothy may have a suspicion, but, but, but Timothy doesn't know yet. But he wants to bolster Timothy's faith. And that's what he's doing here with this salutation in these first verses. He reminds Timothy that faithful faith has eternal power and glory. It never runs out. And when you want to know what the Spirit of God is doing in a person's life, there's a great place to go. It's kind of neat. Romans 8. Romans 8 is all about life and the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does for us. Listen to verses 14 and 15 of that whole chapter. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
Let that sink in. He is your father. And he cares for you more than any human father could ever care for you. God the Spirit lives in you as a believer. You're not enslaved anymore. You know, when Samson finally realized that the Spirit of God was on him, he destroyed a temple and killed a bunch of God's enemies. When David realized the Holy Spirit was on him, he killed a bear and a lion and a Goliath. We have that kind of power. What are we doing with it? Well, let's talk first about rekindling our gifts, rekindling and refueling our souls so we work for the kingdom of God. Because we all get a little dim. We all get a little tired. We all get a little frustrated. So let's think about some things that dims our fire, that puts out our fire. What burns us out? Time. Trying to always juggle time. Sin in our life. Just life in general. Chasing our personal agendas. People who are challenging, people who are misbehaving. Sometimes we get too much focus on what the world's doing and we let that burn us out. Even the, just the daily and the weekly grinds of our life, it uses up our fuel. But a lot of times it's what's inside here. We're struggling with sin. We're struggling with, with the fact that we don't know who we are in Christ. We fail to get adequate nourishment from our Bibles, from our prayer life, from worship. We just don't put our hearts into it. We don't look to God for the replenishment that we need. We forget to spend time alone in meditation, prayerful reflection, serious discipleship. We forget to tune out the world and tune in to God. We really do. We're quick to pick up our phone. We're quick to turn on the TV. Sometimes we just let fear of failure burn us out and scare us to not doing anything. Remember, we're not supposed to be timid. Don't fear failure. We let the fear of mankind or the fear of risk keep us from doing what God wants us to do. And that lets our, our lights go dim, our fire go out. But God doesn't give us this type of spirit. He doesn't give us a spirit that hides and ducks and bobs and weaves and tries to get out of things. We don't evade. We don't need to sit dormant. Here's what God gives. Let's talk about that for a second. He gives us his spirit. His spirit. This is not some random spirit. This is not some angel. This is God Almighty dwelling in your soul. It is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. Romans 8, 11. Like I said, go to Romans 8 if you want to know about the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11. It is the same power and same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside you. See, God doesn't give us attitudes or reactions of fear, but his spirit by which we battle. Many of us have lived our Christian lives crippled by fear, doubt, and uncertainty. We're afraid we're going to mess up. We're afraid we're going to be called a fanatic. We're afraid of a lot of things. We shouldn't be afraid. I'm asking you this morning, believer, to, to quit hanging on to something and white-knuckling your way through this life, but to trust God with every aspect of it. Trust the Holy Spirit completely to help you do amazing things for God. And you start by remembering who you are in Christ and how you were changed by Christ. You feed your courage by feeding on God's truth. Read it. Memorize it. I'm going to tell you that's, that's an important aspect of discipleship. It's an important aspect of Christian life and faith is to memorize Scripture so you can meditate on it any time. 
And it's amazing when God will bring back to your mind at times when things are going south. You and I are headed to glory. That's where God's called us as believers in Christ. We are going to eternal life one day. We're call, and we're called to tell others about this as we go. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can stop letting fear ruin our faith and ruin our witness. We need to seek to be faithful to the end. So in conclusion, you know, I want you to understand that fear is one of our highest obstacles to overcome in this life. We, we're f- afraid of so many things. And being faithful to the end, fear will definitely make that harder. I, I've talked to many who have gotten so afraid because they've been watching the news, they've been hearing the things. I mean, wars and rumors of war. There's wars going everywhere. There's people attacking people everywhere. But God's got this. And the Spirit of God doesn't need us to be afraid of all of that. God's got this. Would you like to be be rid of the fear and be faithful to the end for Jesus? I hope so. Today is the day to start. So we're going to have a time of pastoral prayer where we pray that God will encourage our hearts to not be afraid anymore. That this Spirit will take over our hearts. Have a time of silent prayer. And then I'll close this out in a minute or so. So let's pray. Let's pray for that.